my name is Jerry. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I go to AA meetings. I go to a regular AA. Um, this is the only secular uh, meeting that I dip into. I'm normally here once, twice a week. And I normally have my camera off because I'm uh, on headphones doing stuff around the house. Um, my introduction, uh, so I'm going to do a traditional kind of a, a share that I wouldn't, I'm not going to specialize it because I'm on a secular meeting, even though I thought of doing that, but I'm not going to. Uh, you know, I uh, was, uh, when I was drinking, I haven't drank since 2004, since the end of August 2004. I had my last drink uh, on the 29th of August 2004 in a pub down the road from my parents. My dad was dead. My mother was alive at the time. And, um, you know, it was it was a nice uh, summer's night. It was a Sunday night. And uh, I had a relationship breakup earlier on that summer. And I was cut up very badly uh, as a result of that breakup. Now, we didn't live together. We barely met. But uh, I, I used to ring her three nights. We met maybe once a month. I used to ring her three nights a week, three, four nights a week, drunk, and I thought she loved me. She loved my humor. She loved everything about me. And she got a better offer after four years. And uh, she took it. And uh, I was gutted. You know, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill her. I didn't know who he was. And I used that as an excuse. I was 40 years old. I used that relationship breakup as an excuse to uh, to turn the towel and to stop drinking. You know, I drank until I was 40 from late teens and most of my drinking was um, above average. It was above uh, the normal. And I know that because uh, I worked in a place for a long time with a lot of people, a couple of thousand people, and there was only a couple of us coming in every day, the worst for wear. And uh, I was one of them. And I was very aware of uh, my my presentation to the public and what was going on in my head were poles apart. You know, I could present a good uh, face, I could present that work pleasantly, uh, but what was going on in my head was not reflective of uh, the face I was presenting to the public. I was consumed with hatred uh, for people, um, I but, but, I, but I could smile at you and conceal that whilst hating you. So I had a separate life going on in my head as opposed to the one I had. Uh, and and a, a lot of that was a result of drink, you know. Um, I have um, not drank since I, my, my introduction to you was in uh, Massachusetts. I lived in America for about seven years and uh, I had to borrow the, the price of uh, the flight home after seven years, you know. Um, I got arrested drunk driving in Quincy, Massachusetts. I think it was about 94. And I was asked, I was told uh, by the judge to go to uh, two AA meetings. And I remember one of them, you know, and it was an open meeting, uh, a big crowd there, maybe 100, 150 people. And at that meeting, I heard about crack. I heard three speakers heard about crack, heroin and cocaine from each of the speakers. And I was, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, I don't, I don't even know what these things are. I'm a drinker. I smoke cigarettes. And that's the limit of my uh, drug abuse. And I didn't hear a message that I identified with. But uh you know, was that the reason I didn't keep going back? I'm not sure. But at the time, uh, I was very discontent. You know, I hated where I lived. I hated what I worked at. And I hated when I when I 
didn't get paid because I couldn't get out of bed to go to work. You know, I hated everything. I hated the girl I lived with, blamed her for everything. I was, I was, the, I was the perennial victim and everybody else was the problem, you know. And I pointed a finger constantly at other people, ignoring the four pointing back or the three pointing back at me. And life sucked. And, uh, you know, I never saw a point to life. I never saw a point to the traditional lifestyle of going to bed early, getting up early to work for somebody else, turn money to profit them, to go to bed early, to do the same thing again. I have all that kind of dynamic going on in my head. And if I had a drink at the end of the day, it was uh, it made a day bearable, you know, put a bit of colour in the day. And I drank most nights. And I was a nighttime drinker. And... Um, you know, I would drink. Uh, I, I knew when I drank, I drank to get drunk. I never drank to like, oh, it's been the end of a nice work day. I'll have two or three drinks and I will um, I will go to bed early. No, I always drank to, uh, to escape, to get away from the futility of life as I saw it. And uh, that went on for a long time. You know, I, I would say drink became a habit. Was I born an alcoholic? I don't know. My dad died relatively early and he drank a lot. Was he an alcoholic? I don't know, but he drank. He drank above average as well. And um, you know that meeting meant nothing to me except that I was being that AA meeting that I went to, except I was being punished for um, for a lifestyle that I was unhappy with. But ten years later, I was back in Ireland. I'm sure I borrowed the flight money to get home, and I moved back in with my parents um, at 33 years old. And um, soon after that, my dad died. I got a job in Cork straight away in a big company there. And, um, you know, I, I'm, a, you know, soon in, in that year, my dad passed away of a heart attack. He died instantly. And um, I got a, I got a chance to move out of my parents' house to live in a place which I didn't have to pay rent for. It was an old farmhouse. You wouldn't put fucking animals in there, but Jerry would live there because he didn't have to pay rent. And I had a job that I'd go to and I would, it was compressed working hours. I did three 12 hour shifts. I would come home and I would drink at home, you know, and I was drinking cheaper. It was a smoking ban at the time. I could smoke cigarettes. I'd fall up to bed. And if I had work in the morning, I would put on three, <clears throat> three alarm clocks to, to make sure I woke. And my, my drinking was spiritual towards the end, meaning I was drinking spirits. I was drinking a lot of uh, whiskey. And, um, you know, like that, that sounds like a pitiful drunk. And, uh, but, but the reality of it is I drank a lot, but there were things happened in my drinking to others that I had to drink when I thought of them about. I was not a nice person to, um, less than a handful of people. And every time I thought of my behavior towards them, I cringed and I was all fuck, you know? And, um, when I got, when that relationship broke up and I got a chance, I threw in the towel. I went to, I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't go to a psychiatrist. Um, I said, fuck this. I don't want to drink ever again. And I cannot um, think my way into drinking into moderation or to stopping. And I tried. I couldn't. And I think for the last three years of my drinking, I tried, I, I stopped trying to stop, you know. And that was, that was probably the most comfortable period of my drinking because I didn't crucify myself about my drink problem and trying to control it or stop you know I knew there was no controlling it I knew I wanted a drink to get drunk but I said fuck it this is the way you are you're going to always be a heavy drinker just accept it and I kind of gave myself a break for the last couple of years uh, but then you know she got a better offer and I did not like the free fall 
the emotional turmoil and the free fall I went into. And uh, I used that breakup as an excuse to go to A. And uh, I went to A and I've been at a lot of A meetings since, you know. And um, <clears throat> like AA, and I'm talking about traditional A because that's what I knew at the time. AA did for me what I, I'm not an AA flag waver at all. And I'm probably one of the biggest critics of AA and I can vocalize that at group conscience, but I love the setup. I love the AA, the 12 traditions of AA. The 12 steps, the personal recovery program, I've always found it difficult. Um, I have found that very difficult, you know, but I like the traditions of AA because they provide, like I drank, I don't like bosses and I drank against bosses. I don't like being told what to do, but I will do what I'm told with a smile on my face and I'll have a fuck you bubble over my head whilst I'm doing that. Um, so I do not need bosses in recovery and the traditions of AA prevent that. And that is what kept me coming back to AA. There's only one requirement for membership. It's a desire to stop drinking. I assume people here have it as well, or maybe they don't. I'm not sure. But that's what kept me coming back. And nobody, to any extent, at AA meetings has tried to tell me what to do, except a couple of sponsors, and they didn't fucking last long. Uh, and that's a, that's another story, uh, which I may get into. Um, but 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 I could not control or stop drinking myself. I had come to believe that it was all or nothing, that there was no moderation. Uh, I drank with a guy who I worked with, who to me was a he was a real alcoholic, and I was always asking him about AA because I knew he went. He went for a few months, then he'd go back drinking. And he gave me the big book when I was drinking. He said, I'll give you this big book because you're always asking me about it. He says, but I tell you one thing, you're not an alcoholic, you know. And that that did me. You know, he was a real alcoholic. He told me I wasn't, so I believed him. But um, but I had a desire to stop drinking, you know, and that's the difference. I mean, it, the, in fairness, in AA, it does not say uh, the only requirement for membership is to be a real alcoholic, it's uh, a desire to stop drinking. And that made it very simple for me to keep coming back to me. And I don't believe in miracles or anything, but but the evidence is once I made the decision that I didn't want to drink and I was going to do something about it, which was attend AA meetings, I haven't drank, you know. And that that is kind of miraculous because something else did what Jerry couldn't do for himself. And um, so, so I kept going back and I got involved in service in AA. And where I live, I live in Cork. It's a, it's a big county, Irish standards. Uh, but it's pretty, um, oh, let's be tactful here. Um, there's not too many Einsteins living in Cork, let me put it that way. And, um, you know, the message seems to be that in AA that drink is the problem and not drinking is the solution even though there are charts on the wall that said you know alcoholism is but a tip of the iceberg and, and stuff like that but um, you know if, if, if AA was a club for not drinking and there was no recovery program I would have found it very difficult to keep going back you know and I needed something else. And the evidence is for me in recovery, I have become way more restless, irritable and discontent than ever I was when I was drinking because a drink and the regularity of my drinking never allowed me to be restless, irritable and discontent because I would have a drink to minimize 
those things, you know. But when I got a year uh, drink free, it was um, that was a novelty. I had a couple of months on two occasions. And when I got a year drink free, reality started to hit. And the novelty of waking up hangover free. I was a person who would swear every morning I'm never drinking again and I'd be drinking again that night. And um, once I got a year drink free, then I said, right, I'm getting super sober now. I'm getting what they have. I'm getting a life beyond my wildest dreams. I'm going to get rocketed into the fourth dimension. All my friends are going to be in A. I heard all these things and I believe them naively. I'm a pretty naive person, you know. I'm slow to wise up. And, um, you know, the evidence is for the next six years, um, I became more restless, irritable and discontent, you know. Often at the end of the meeting, I'm not, I'm not here to promote or knock any any system of recovery, whether it's A or secular. But uh, my experience is... I tended, I did, and, and through the self-examination of the 12 steps that AA provided, I've learned a lot about myself in recovery, and a lot of it has been hard to digest, you know. I'm not a popular person with other people. I tend to be the kind of person who at the end of an AA meeting is there on its own talking to nobody when everyone else is talking to somebody else. And, you know, when you have months and years of that and it's still going on, you know, you start saying, do you fit in anywhere? Like, do I fit in anywhere? These are saying all my friends are in A. I get all the help I want in A. And I just wasn't experiencing that. But despite that, it didn't stop me keep going back because it was the only show in town, really. And I'd become, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. Drink was a habit. And attending meetings became a habit. And I kept going back, kept doing service. And then I got introverted in my recovery. It was self-sponsorship, as they call it. I bought all the A literature, all the Hazley literature, did a lot of writing. You know, if I was talking to someone in A, it, it was on a trivial level. But the self-examination I did on my own, I didn't do it with a sponsor. I had four short-term sponsors in the first seven years and none of them lasted uh, more than two, three months, you know, and I won't go into what was wrong with them, but um, they didn't suit me. And that's that's basically uh, basically it. Um, but I, I knew that I hadn't gone through the 12 step program, so I could not dismiss the effectiveness of it unless I had. And I believed what I heard that you had to go through it with a sponsor. And I could not get a sponsor that suited me. I could not get a sponsor that I didn't want to interrupt and say, you're full of shit, you know? And that happened. Um, and it's a lonely place to be for somebody. And it's it probably, I'd, I'd be more of an intellectual than a, than a manual person. And, and that's a barrier to 12-step recovery. You know, if you question things, if you're scientifically inclined and you're you're asked to hand your day over to a higher power, like the biggest controversy I had in A was, okay, come to meetings and I won't drink, but please somebody tell me how I hand my sober day over to a higher power. And the best I'd get, I, the best I got was get in your knees or pray and meditate, right? I don't know. I need steps for everything. I need to be told incrementally of how to do things. So I wasn't experiencing what other people said they were experiencing. And because I wasn't, then I began to suspect that the whole thing is just a lads club bullshit. 
all talk and no action, you know. So seven years without a drink, I was at a jumping off point. I was sick of the I was used to waking up sober. And I met a guy, I knew a guy who was exactly the same as me. He was in A, the same length of time. I knew him uh, from attending meetings. He was demented as well. I was demented, very discontent. And I said, look, let's go through the program together. I can't get a sponsor that sticks with me or I stick with them. Neither can you. Let's read the first 164 pages together. And we did that. And I have to, I have to say that that was a turning point for me, you know. Um, I was racked, racked. I had guilt, shame and remorse about a handful of uh, behaviours in my past that unless I made amends for them, I was going to have no peace, whether I was in air or not. I just knew that these things kept coming back to haunt me. And they were, they were effectively uh, a financial amend. And... Um, harms I did to a couple of people that I needed to make, I needed to say sorry for. And I did a searching and fearless step four. I hated the whole world, hated all systems, hated people, teachers I had in school. I was like an adult and I was lost. I was drifting through jobs. I was drifting through places that I lived in. I had no stability. And I blamed uh, others for that. I blamed teachers, I blame my parents big time, certainly my mother. And, um, you know, I, I said, nobody gives a fuck about me. They've left me drift. I was good in school up to a point. And then when I needed direction at pivotal points, I didn't get it. And I blame for that. And to carry that on into your adulthood is probably not behaving like an adult. And that's why I needed a drink, you know. I was discontent. I needed a drink to block all that shit out. And... Um, you know, for once, like, uh, when I did Searching and Fearless Moral Inventory, I looked at my past and uh, I was asked to look for my own part and things. And I did a step five. I did a step five with a priest. I won't cover it up uh, because I was not, I did not trust anyone in AA. My trust had been uh, broken by two AA people, a man and a woman, separate occasions. One is dead now. I didn't kill him. And... Uh, you know, for that reason, uh, I was not going to do a step five with an A person because if one person in A breaks my trust, then A is fucking bullshit. That's my kind of ca- ca- catastrophic thinking. And that's incorrect as well. But, um, you know, I did step five with a priest. And for me, the ceremonial effect of that alone uh, change things. It kept me focused on recovery as opposed to discontent and being away from drink yet for yet another day until I die, you know? And it'll be, you'll be successful if you die without taking a drink. I could never get my head around that, you know? And um, so I kept, um, so that was a turning point. And then, you know, I, I got more confident then, you know, I was at a meeting earlier today, traditionally online. I was, uh, it's uh, the West Cork Fellowship. I've done, I do GSR for them and host, and I'm finishing up next week. And that's, that's that my favourite part of the service is rotating out, to be honest. But um, a, man, a man came on today. I know I'm going to break a, a share, but uh, Trish, he said that his programme today is a three-step programme. And I get that, you know. Uh, it's steps 10, 11 and 12, you know. 
And for me, I did a good first nine steps. I made amends to a handful of people. The hardest amend I had to make was a financial amend for a few grand. And I probably owed a lot more than that. But I had the money at the time. And even if even if that I had the money, paying it back was very fucking painful. And uh, apologetic amends, um, it's coming up. I'm going to finish pretty soon. Um, I made an apologetic amend to a handful of people. One sister, one mother, I've only one. <laughs> and, um, you know, the amend to my mother was, um, I hated my mother, you know. I, I lived away from home since I was 20 years old, but I carried this hatred of she was a spoiled sport. She interfered with my, she curbed my freedom at every angle, you know, no direction. And, um, but when I lived at home when I was young and I would go out, there was no mobile phones at the time or cell phones. Um, you know, you know, you go out on a night out, you might not come home for a couple of days because there was a party, party going on. And when I would come home after missing for a few days, there would, there would be war in the house. My mother would be banging doors and slamming plates on tables and stuff like this. And more spoils, more, more being a spoils sport. Like. And uh, so when I made amends to her, uh, about in 2010, I said, look, I am sorry. When I went out and didn't ring home or didn't come home, I just want to apologize for that. And she said to me, um, when you didn't come home at night, when you went out partying, she said, I thought you were in the river, you know. So she thought, I, 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 I'm, I was never suicidal when I was drinking. But my mom thought that I had killed myself when I wouldn't come home, you know. And so my drinking affected her peace of mind, you know. And that, 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 that uh, astonished me, you know. And my mom passed away on the 5th of July, just gone in my, in my arms, literally. You know, she lived, she had dementia uh, for the last four years. I was at an AA meeting and um, on a Wednesday night and I went home. I was, I was looking after her three days a week for the last four years. She had dementia. She had a very slow decline, dementia, Parkinson's, a slow decline, and my mother was a very strong person. You know, there would be no self-examination in her. She just got on with things, you know. And, um, you know, I went home. She had been bedbound for the last month of her life. And I went home on a Wednesday night after an A meeting. I got home at 20 past seven in the evening. I'd just been to an A meeting. I was going to be there for the next two days. And my sisters, two of my sisters were there. And I went into her bedroom and I said, you look great. And she was dead 20 minutes later, you know. She had um, seizures for the last month of her life and no fucking medical person could tell us what was the cause or they could not prescribe medicine to alleviate or block those seizures. And that is something I don't want to get into. My sisters are really pissed off about that. No, mom was elderly and she had a long life and most of it was healthy. But I suppose my point is, um, you know, I had a chance for the last um, four years because of sobriety to do something for somebody who was on the top of my resentment list uh, when I made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Um, and to be able to do that, and I'm not flag waving about that either, but it's a fact, 
It's a fact. So she is dead. I have no regrets because I was there for somebody who needed me. And, and there was love there as well for the last. I mean, if, if you asked me four years ago to hug my mother, I would have fucking shot her and shot you, you know. But there was plenty of that in the last certainly two years of her life. Uh, and she could not let go. She like, like, you know, the 12 step recovery program asks people to do something, some things that are unnatural, you know. And this was my problem. You, it, It's too like clinical. You make an inventory, you find your character defects and because you know them and talk to someone else about them and, and pray every day, they're magically going to change. Now, maybe they do. But when I saw my mother for the last four years of her life, I know where I get some of my character defects from. And it was her. And pride would be a huge one. She ain't asking nobody for help. She never would. Pride, you know, I'm the same. So if I decide for in step forward and I'm a prideful person, is that going to change just because I've deciphered it and talked to the priest about it and get my knees? It's not. Some, some, some things are so ingrained that, that I do believe being aware of them and time will minimize the effect of my character defects to other people. And if I'm not arguing with the world, then I'm, I'm not. I won't want to kill the world in my head, so I'll have some kind of serenity. But, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's not the magic one that I was led or I believed when I heard sharing at the start. But I'm still an A member and I keep coming back and I've no plans to stop now. And I had back to you there, Jim, and I wish everybody well.